when I was 12 years old, prime of my life, it was mid-80s, and uh, middle school, you know, good times, and there were these shoes that I had to have. They were Keds. Anybody remember Keds? I know. The blue label, man, you could not get away with knockoffs. You had to have the shoe with the blue label because when you're walking down the hall, everybody would look to see if you had the blue label, right? Was that just me? I think, yeah. Um, but I wanted a pair so bad, but they were kind of pricey because it's a name brand. So over the year, or, or over the course of that year, I saved money from babysitting, from chores, Christmas money, birthday money, and finally the day came and I got to walk into the Bon Marche in downtown Bellingham, marched straight to the shoe department because I had already been there several times. I already knew the color that I wanted, I knew my size, and I made a beeline right for that shoe department, grabbed my shoes, went to the cashier, proudly gave, I'm 12 years old and I'm buying my own pair of shoes, that is so exciting, and the kids, immediately put them on, and something came over me, I had these shoes, I wanted to make sure everybody saw that blue label right there. I walked out the building, I knew everybody as I walked by, they were checking out that blue label. So excited to have these shoes. I knew when I went to school the next day, everybody was going to be impressed because I had kids' shoes. Well, you know, if it wasn't kids' shoes, it was something else. I don't know what it is about being a teen or middle schooler, but you have to have the name brand. And in the 80s, it was Jordache jeans, Benetton sweatshirts, the... Jansport backpacks, everything was name brand and you had to have it. You could not get away with having a knockoff or a Kmart fall apart. I don't know if anybody remembers that phrase. I did not want to be teased the rest of the school year. And, you know, it just, who wants to be teased? Nobody wants to be teased, right? Unfortunately, that happened anyway. My shoes didn't solve all my problems. Um, my peers found other things to tease me about, whether it was my hair. I have cowlicks all over my head. My bangs never felt, fell. I always envied the girls who could put their headband back and their bangs just feathered right back down. Mine went like that. Um, it was my teeth. It was my clothes. My mom made a lot of my clothes. I was awkward the way I looked. And my way of handling that was fighting back. So while all these words and labels were being flung at me, I was firing it right back to them. They would call me a loser. I would say snob. They would say ugly. I would say fake. They would say weird, and I would have something to say right back to them. And in middle school and high school, rumors spread like wildfire. After the weekend, you would come back to school on Monday, and something would happen. And pretty soon, you would hear about this person or that person, and something that they did and this label would then be attached to them, like party animal, liar, attention seeker, or something even worse than that. Labels can be so damaging, and maybe you relate to this, but as a kid, I cared about what other people thought about me to a fault. I would do whatever I could to make them think that I was cool because I did not want to live with an undesirable label. Sometimes these labels are given to us, Sometimes we place them on ourselves, and we're going to hear what God has to say about that, but before we do, I want to pose a question to you. 
what label has been attached to you? Either by you or someone else, either by your actions or someone's assumptions, what label has been attached to you? We're going to hear a story about a woman who had a label attached to her name in scripture, a name that was given to her based on her profession, and I believe it's a label that was left on to show us God's grace. Her name appears in Hebrews 11. That's been our focus this summer, Hebrews 11. We've been walking through um, what has been dubbed the Hall of Faith, and we've been learning about all these people who have been acclaimed for the faith that they had, this faith, this certainty of something that they haven't seen, and yet they were all people with flaws. I love who I get to focus on this morning, and I love where God has taken this. So let's dive in together, and I'm going to allow Hebrews to introduce you to this woman with the label. In Hebrews 11.31, it says, By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. Immediately we know, Rahab, her profession, it's a prostitute. There's no questioning that. And this could easily be substituted with some other label like alcoholic, drug addict, thief, liar. It's a label that comes with a stigma. Oh, a prostitute? We're going to go back to the book of Joshua, which is where we get to find the story of Rahab and her act of faith. And, but before we do that, I want to give a little bit of context of what's going on here. Um, the Israelites have been wandering the desert with Moses. They went through the Red Sea. They've experienced a lot. And they're heading towards the promised land that God has promised to them. And now years later, they're wandering. They're almost home. And Moses has died. And God has just appointed Joshua as the leader of these people. And Joshua is about to send a couple of spies to Jericho to see what is going on. And Rahab is going to be a key player in this story. And here's where we jump in. Joshua 2.1. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Aren't you glad you don't live in a town with that name? You guys are all thinking it. Come on. Okay. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. Now, to say these spies were lodging at the home of a prostitute seems kind of sketchy to us, right? But upon diving deeper into the culture and history of those days, the place where Rahab was living, it was a hostel, hotel, right on the city wall, right by the gate, and she was very privy, whoever was there was very privy to the ins and outs of what was happening there. It was convenient for people to stay there, and God is about to use this for his advantage. And remember, he uses flawed people to proclaim his glory. So let's keep reading verses 2 through 7. The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab, bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the room and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. So here we have 
prostitute, uh, Rahab harboring these spies, lying to government officials, and she's a prostitute. All the great makings for a novel or a movie. But I don't want us to miss something important. She makes a statement in the next few verses that really gives us insight into her step of faith and God's grace, and I don't want us to miss this. Let's keep reading verses 8 through 11. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. And let's catch this next part here. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and below. We're just going to sit here for a minute because it's good. It's good stuff. Here's this woman, a prostitute, clearly living in sin. She had faith of the victory and trusted the Lord. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. She knew there was something bigger out there. She had heard the stories, the miracle of the Red Sea, the overthrow of the kings, and she knew there was something greater than herself going on. And I just have to ask, how can a Canaanite, Canaanite prostitute know about the one true God? A woman who's daily living a life in sin, giving her body away in a way that doesn't glorify God. How? How does she know this? And the only explanation that I could think of is revelation. As Jesus would later say to Peter in Matthew 16, 17, this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. God had shown Rahab who he was. He was speaking to her, opening her heart and mind to who he was, and now, here are these spies that she had heard about. And she had heard all the things that were happening, and she embraced that truth. She had faith. Have you heard a story of something that just seemed so unbelievable, and yet deep down it just seemed true? Like there was just something. And that's, that's how God works. His Holy Spirit gets in there, and he starts working and, and just doing things only he can do through divine revelation. In verse 12 through 13, we get to hear another characteristic of Rahab. This is Rahab still speaking to the spies. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. She isn't only thinking of herself in this situation. She was placing her family front and center as well. Now, the spies could have easily looked at Rahab and just said, you're a prostitute? Mm, I don't know. But we get to hear their answer in verse 14. This is what they say. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we were doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us this land. And later in Joshua in chapter 6, we get to see that promise fulfilled. We learn that only she and her family were saved. 
Not only was the promise fulfilled, but they were the only ones to be spared, a prostitute and her family. Earlier I mentioned that the story and Rahab's label are an example of God's grace. And so let's just focus on that. If you get nothing else from this today, here is what I want you to hear. God's grace is bigger than our labels. And when we accept that grace, we become who we were meant to be. It wasn't coincidence that the two spies ended up at Rahab's house. God had plans for Rahab from the beginning of time. He knew what choices she was going to make. He knew the lifestyle that she was going to choose, and he chose her, and he used her. This is how God works. He reveals his truth to those whose hearts are open, doing his mighty deeds through his people. Rahab had faith. Scripture doesn't give any indication that she was afraid or that she hesitated. The conversation rolls pretty quickly as she expresses what she has heard and then takes the next step of acting out in faith and helping the spies, which ultimately was being part of God's plan. She chose faith. I can look back at my own life and recall those moments when God revealed his truth to me. Remember when I shared about the designer labels and the kids and the Jordash? Well, really, that's just, it's all a cover-up because I didn't want to be labeled negatively. I wanted to be cool, but growing up, I heard loser, worthless, not good enough. I didn't look the way I should. I didn't act the way that others thought I should. And maybe for you, maybe you've heard similar words. Maybe You're older and you've heard words like washed out, too old. If you're a parent, maybe you've heard helicopter parent or lazy. Maybe you've been labeled or maybe you've you've labeled yourself based on how you look or act, think, or by the choices you've made. And what do those labels do? The result can be devastating. The results can include hindering us from opportunities, or being too hard on ourselves and even wondering how can God love someone like me. Let's come back to Rahab's label of prostitute. The label prostitute was not left on to point out her, bad, point out her badness. It was left there for this reason. It isn't who you were that matters to God. It's who you are in him and who you are becoming by the power of his spirit. Let me say that again. It isn't who you were that matters to God. It's who you are in him and who you are becoming by the power of his spirit. That doesn't mean we forget who we were. Remembering helps us remember his grace and power and mighty works. And Rahab chose to leave behind a shameful past and walk forward in grace. God's grace is bigger than our labels. And when we accept that grace, we become who we were meant to be. God's amazing grace. This label was left on so that we remember his grace. Yes, she was a prostitute, but she chose to walk in faith because of God's amazing grace. And guess what? That same grace that he gave to Rahab and invited her into an incredible journey only he could orchestrate, that grace is still available for us. It's available to me, And it's what changes us and is what God gives us as he uses us, flaws and all. The literal definition of grace is a list of synonyms. Mercy, pardon, forgiveness. 
These are words that God uses over and over in Scripture to express the love that he has for us. And Scripture is a great tool to dig into um, as we learn about God's truth, and there are so many verses about his grace. Let's, let's listen to a few of these and just soak them in this morning. In Romans 3, through 24, it says, This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. In Ephesians 4, 7, But to each one of us grace has been given, each one of us grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, When he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. In Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And this next verse is our call to action. In Hebrews four sixteen. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We get to approach with confidence because of God's grace. Remember my question to, to you earlier. What label has been given to you, and what label, what label are you giving yourself? What label have you been hiding behind? The labels I've mentioned throughout this message are labels that we give ourselves, Labels that have been birthed out of not knowing who we are. Labels that have been given to us. Labels that are birthed out of our struggles. Maybe you have struggled with addiction or lying or gossip or stealing. Or perhaps you were that teen that was labeled loser or loner. And it's just stuck with you over the years. We seem to willingly adopt the label that comes with the struggle, don't we? We think we have to carry it, and maybe we even like it a little bit because we can hide behind it, and it prevents us from being real and vulnerable. But you know what? Those labels are not from God. In Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Paul is saying that his old sinful life, it's dead. It's gone. His God-given label is Christ living in him. This was true for Rahab. This is true for you. Her sin and our sin, her old life and ours, crucified with Christ. When Jesus hung on that cross, he took it all. Those labels don't apply. Imagine yourself covered with all those hello, my name is stickers, and on each one it's just one of those labels, loner, whatever, all over, and Jesus comes up and he just takes each one of those off and says, nope, you're mine. We belong to him and he lives in us. We are his beloved children, his beautiful creation. We're forgiven and have been shown the same grace that Rahab was given. By his grace, we are given a new name and new labels like beloved, his creation, loved, forgiven, his child. God's grace is real. 
And Rahab got to walk in that grace, and it's still available for us. It isn't who you were that matters to God. It is who you are in him and who you are becoming by the power of his spirit. And you know what else? God uses us just like he used Rahab. He has had great plans for us since the beginning of time. Don't unqualify yourself because God is so much bigger than that. If he used Rahab, the prostitute, he will use any one of us. Our stories can include stepping out in faith just like Rahab. Regardless of what others think or whatever you thought of yourself, you can step out in faith and use the gifts he has given you. There's a wonderful epilogue to Rahab's story because we don't just get to hear about this amazing step of faith and then read about it in Hebrews. Nope, we learn that she's the mother of Boaz. And in the book of Ruth, we learn that Boaz is this wealthy landowner and he ends up marrying Ruth and ultimately becomes part of the lineage of Jesus Christ. Rahab is his mom. You know what that means? She's part of the lineage of Jesus Christ. And we are too. That's huge. That's a big deal to me. To know that God used this woman who has this label and now she's part of the family because of her act of faith. So does this mean we keep living in our sin? Do you think Rahab continued with her life of being a prostitute? Absolutely not. And once we accept the grace of God and begin becoming who we are meant to be by the power of his spirit, it's hard and almost impossible to live that life. Because God, he gets into our hearts and he starts changing things and shifts things around and our perspectives change and our morals and values begin to become in line with his and we find joy in living in that truth. Even if we backslide, because it'll happen, that way of life looks just a little bit tempting and that might happen, but God's grace is always available. In 1 John 4, 15 through 16, it says, If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. When God is living in us, we want to live differently, right? You always have access to God's grace. We don't have time to dig into all the examples of that, but the Bible is full of them, like David and Peter and Thomas, men who over and over again just fell back into sin, and God's grace was there for them every single time. Don't forget what our whole focus this summer has been. God using flawed people, and that includes you, and that includes me. God doesn't excuse our sin, or grace doesn't excuse our sin, but it frees us. It causes us to celebrate and know that God's grace is bigger than our labels, and when we accept that grace, we become who we were meant to be. And because of this, he'll do far more than we could ever ask or imagine as we walk in that faith. As I start to close this morning, um, 
There's a piece of scripture that was read over me years ago, and it was during a time when I was feeling like just unworthy, and um, as I wrote, just thinking about how God will do far more than we could ever ask or imagine, and just how applicable that is to his grace and who he is, and just how, how he guided Rahab's life, and how she got to walk in that grace as well, and got to experience that um, the scripture has become so meaningful, and I just, um, it's revolutionized my relationship with God, and living out in faith, and grasping on to the grace of God, and so this morning, I would like to read that over you, just the words are not going to be on the screen, just you, I, you can close your eyes, you can just allow the words to, to come over you, and then um, we'll close in prayer after that. This is from Ephesians 3, 16 through 20. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. Would you pray with me, please? God, I am so thankful for this summer as we've uh, gotten dug into scripture and just learned about all these people that were acclaimed for their faith. And sometimes when uh, we see these names and we think, oh my goodness, what did they do? They, they had to have these amazing lives. And what we've gotten to discover is that they're just like us. They're people with flaws, people who struggled, people who fell into sin over and over again. And I just, I think about Rahab this morning and the example of your grace that you give us through her story, and that um, despite her choices and just the, the life that she lived, that you used her for something huge. And you do that with us today. God, I pray over um, each one of us this morning and what we, the labels that we've brought in, the labels that we've given ourselves, the labels that other people have given to us. God, I pray that each one of us this morning can find freedom from those and be able to claim with confidence the labels that you have given us, that we are your beloved, we are your children, you um, were your creation. And God, I pray that because of that and because of the step of confidence that we can take, knowing that you will use each one of us and that we can have faith in who you are and all that you will do. God, I just... I just want the grace that you have. It's such it's such a powerful thing to be able to walk into that freedom. And I don't know if I'm if if I'm right in line here, but I just feel like there's people here this morning that just need to know that you love them, and that whatever is holding them back, whatever excuses they have, but I'm this, but I'm that where I've done this and I've done that, how could God use me? How could God want me? How could he love me? 
Does he know what I did? Does he know what I do? These people have placed these thoughts for me. And God, I just free, free all those thoughts this morning. Just tear down those labels. Just tear down those things that prevent us from walking in the freedom of your grace, God. It's good to walk in your grace and your forgiveness and your mercy, God. Thank you for giving that to us. It's in your name that we pray.